0: Part 1 of Red Nails by Robert E. Howard This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Greg Marguerite Part 1 of Red Nails by Robert E. Howard CHAPTER One, THE SKULL ON THE CRAG The woman on the horse reined in her weary steed. It stood with its legs wide-braced, its head drooping as if it found even the weight of the gold-tasseled, red-leather bridle too heavy. The woman drew a booted foot out of the silver stirrup and swung down from the gilt-worked saddle. She made the reins fast to the fork of a sapling and turned about, hands on her hips, to survey her surroundings. They were not inviting. Giant trees hemmed in the small pool where her horse had just drunk. Clumps of undergrowth limited the vision that quested under the somber twilight of the lofty arches formed by intertwining branches. The woman shivered with a twitch of her magnificent shoulders, and then cursed. She was tall full-bosomed and large-limbed, with compact shoulders. Her whole figure reflected an unusual strength without detracting from the femininity of her appearance. She was all woman, in spite of her bearing and her garments. The latter were incongruous, in view of her present environs. Instead of a skirt, she wore short, wide-legged silk breeches, which ceased a hand's breadth short of her knees, and were upheld by a wide silken sash, worn as a girdle. Flaring-topped boots of soft leather came almost to her knees, and a low-necked, wide-collared, wide-sleeved silk shirt completed her costume. On one shapely hip she wore a straight, double-edged sword, and on the other a long dirk. Her unruly golden hair, cut square at her shoulders, was confined by a band of crimson satin. Against the background of somber, primitive forest she posed with an unconscious picturesqueness bizarre and out of place. She should have been posed against a background of sea-clouds, painted masts, and wheeling gulls. There was the color of the sea in her wide eyes, and that was as it should have been, because this was Valeria of the Red Brotherhood, whose deeds are celebrated in song and ballad wherever seafarers gather. She strove to pierce the sullen green roof of the arched branches and see the sky which presumably lay about it, but presently gave it up with a muttered oath. Leaving her horse tied, she strode off toward the east, glancing back toward the pool from time to time in order to fix her route in her mind. The silence of the forest depressed her. No birds sang in the lofty boughs, nor did any rustling in the bushes indicate the presence of any small animals. Four leagues she had traveled in a realm of brooding stillness, broken only by the sounds of her own flight. She had slaked her thirst at the pool, but she felt the gnawings of hunger and began looking about for some of the fruit on which she had sustained herself since exhausting the food she had brought in her saddlebags. Ahead of her, presently, she saw an outcropping of dark, flint-like rock that sloped upward into what looked like a rugged crag rising among the trees. Its summit was lost to view amidst a cloud of encircling leaves. Perhaps its peak rose above the treetops, and from it she could see what lay beyond, if indeed anything lay beyond, but more of this apparently illimitable forest through which she had ridden for so many days. A narrow ridge formed a natural ramp that led up the steep face of the crag. After she had ascended some fifty feet she came to the belt of leaves that surrounded the rock the trunks of the trees did not crowd close to the crag but the ends of their lower branches extended about it veiling it with their foliage she groped on in leafy obscurity not able to see either above or below her but presently she glimpsed blue sky and a moment later came out in the clear hot sunlight and saw the forest roof stretching away under her feet she was standing on a broad shelf which was about even with the tree-tops and from it rose a spire-like jut that was the ultimate peak of the crag she had climbed but something else caught her attention at the moment her foot had struck something in the litter of blown dead leaves which carpeted the shelf she kicked them aside and looked down on the skeleton of a man She ran an experienced eye over the bleached frame but saw no broken bones, nor any sign of violence. The man must have died a natural death, though why he should have climbed a tall crag to die she could not imagine. She scrambled up to the summit of the spire and looked toward the horizon. The forest roof, which looked like a floor from her vantage point, was just as impenetrable as from below. She could not even see the pool by which she had left her horse. She glanced northward, in the direction from which she had come. She saw only the rolling green ocean stretching away and away, with only a vague blue line in the distance to hint of the hill range she had crossed days before to plunge into this leafy waste. West and east the view was the same, though the blue hill line was lacking in those directions. But when she turned her eyes southward, she stiffened and caught her breath a mile away in that direction the forest thinned out and ceased abruptly giving way to a cactus dotted plain and in the midst of that plain rose the walls and towers of a city valeria swore in amazement this passed belief she would not have been surprised to sight human habitations of another sort the beehive-shaped huts of the black people or the cliff-dwellings of the mysterious brown race which legends declared inhabited in sub-country of this unexplored region but it was a startling experience to come upon a walled city here so many long weeks march from the nearest outposts of any sort of civilization her hands tiring from clinging to the spire-like pinnacle, she let herself down on the shelf, frowning in indecision. She had come far, from the camp of the mercenaries by the border-town of Sukmet, amidst the level grasslands where desperate adventurers of many races guard the Stygian frontier against the raids that come up like a red wave from Darfar. Her fight had been blind, into a country of which she was wholly ignorant. And now she wavered between an urge to ride directly to that city in the plain and the instinct of caution which prompted her to skirt it widely and continue her solitary flight. Her thoughts were scattered by the rustling of the leaves below her. She wheeled cat-like, snatched at her sword, and then she froze, motionless, staring wide-eyed at the man before her. He was almost a giant in stature muscles rippling smoothly under his skin, which the sun had burned brown. His garb was similar to hers, except that he wore a broad leather belt instead of a girdle. Broadsword and poniard hung from this belt. Conan the Cimmerian? ejaculated the woman. What are you doing on my trail? He grinned hardly, and his fierce blue eyes burned with a light any woman could understand as they ran over her magnificent figure, lingering on the swell of her splendid breasts beneath the light shirt and the clear white flesh displayed between breeches and boot-tops. "'Don't you know?' he laughed. "'Haven't I made my admiration for you plain ever since I first saw you?' "'A stallion could have made it no plainer,' she answered disdainfully. But I never expected to encounter you so far from the ale-barrels and meat-pots of Sukhmet. Did you really follow me from Zorallo's camp, or were you whipped forth for a rogue?" He laughed at her insolence and flexed his mighty biceps. "'You know Zorallo didn't have enough knaves to whip me out of camp,' he grinned. "'Of course I followed you. Lucky thing for you, too, wench.' When you knifed that Stygian officer, you forfeited Zorallo's favor and protection, and you outlawed yourself with the Stygians. I know it. she replied sullenly, but what else could I do? You, you know what my provocation was. Sure, he agreed. If I'd been there, I'd have knifed him myself. But if a woman must live in the war camps of men, she can expect such things. Valeria stamped her booted foot and swore. Why won't men let me live a man's life?" That's obvious. Again his eager eyes devoured her. But you were wise to run away. The Stygians would have had you skinned. That officer's brother followed you. Faster than you thought, I don't doubt. He wasn't far behind you when I caught up with him. His horse was better than yours. He'd have caught you and cut your throat within a few more miles. Well? she demanded. Well, what? he seemed puzzled. What of the Stygian? Why, what do you suppose? he returned impatiently. I killed him, of course, and left his carcass for the vultures. That delayed me, though, and I almost lost your trail when you crossed the rocky spurs of the hills. Otherwise, I'd have caught up with you long ago. And now you think you'll drag me back to Zorallo's camp? she sneered. Don't talk like a fool, he grunted. Come, girl, don't be such a spitfire. I'm not like the and you knifed, and you know it. A penniless vagabond, she taunted. He laughed at her. What do you call yourself? You haven't enough money to buy a new seat for your breeches. Your disdain doesn't deceive me. You know I've commanded bigger ships and more men than you ever did in your life. As for being penniless— what rover isn't most of the time. I've squandered enough gold in the seaports of the world to fill a galleon. You know that, too." "'Where are the fine ships and the bold lads you commanded now?' she sneered. "'At the bottom of the sea, mostly,' he replied cheerfully. "'The Zingarans sank my last ship off the Shemite shore. That's why I joined Saralo's free companions. But I saw I'd been stung when we marched to the Darfar border. The pay was poor, and the wine was sour, and I don't like black women. And that's the only kind that came to our camp at Sukhmet. Rings in their noses, and their teeth filed. Bah! Why did you join Zorallo? Sukmet's a long way from salt water. Red Ortho wanted to make me his mistress, she answered sullenly. I jumped overboard one night and swam ashore when we were anchored off the Kushite coast. Off Zabila, it was. There a Shemite trader told me that Zeralo had brought his free companions south to guard the Darfar border. No better employment offered, I joined an eastbound caravan and eventually came to Sukmet. "'It was madness to plunge southward as you did,' commented Conan. But it was wise, too, for Zarallo's patrols never thought to look for you in this direction. Only the brother of the man you killed happened to strike your trail. And now what do you intend doing? she demanded. Turn west, he answered. I've been this far south, but not this far east. Many days traveling to the west will bring us to the open savannas where the black tribes graze their cattle. I have friends among them. We'll get to the coast and find a ship. I'm sick of the jungle. Then be on your way, she advised. I have other plans. Don't be a fool. He showed irritation for the first time. You can't keep on wandering through this forest. I can if I choose. But what do you intend doing? That's none of your affair, she snapped. Yes, it is. He answered calmly. Do you think I've followed you this far to turn around and ride off empty-handed? Be sensible, wench. I'm not going to harm you. He stepped toward her and she sprang back, whipping out her sword. Keep back, you barbarian dog. I'll split you like a roast pig. He halted reluctantly and demanded, Do you want me to take that toy away from you and spank you with it? Words. Nothing but words, she mocked lights like a gleam of the sun on blue water dancing in her reckless eyes. He knew it was the truth. No living man could disarm Valeria of the Brotherhood with his bare hands. He scowled, his sensations a tangle of conflicting emotions. He was angry, yet he was amused and filled with admiration for her spirit. He burned with eagerness to seize that splendid figure and crush it in his iron arms, yet he greatly desired not to hurt the girl. He was torn between a desire to shake her soundly and a desire to caress her. He knew if he came any nearer her sword would be sheathed in his heart. He had seen Valeria kill too many men in border forays and tavern brawls to have any illusions about her. He knew she was as quick and ferocious as a tigress. He could draw his broadsword and disarm her, beat the blade out of her hand, but the thought of drawing a sword on a woman, even without intent of injury, was extremely repugnant to him. "Blast your soul, you hussy!' he exclaimed in exasperation. "'I'm going to take off your—' He started toward her, his angry passions making him reckless, and she poised herself for a deadly thrust. Then came a startling interruption to a scene at once ludicrous and perilous. "'What's that?' It was Valeria who exclaimed. But they both started violently, and Conan wheeled like a cat, his great sword flashing in his hand. Back in the forest had burst forth an appalling medley of screams—the screams of horses in terror and agony. Mingled with their screams, there came the snap of splintering bones. "'Lions are slaying the horses!' cried Valeria. "'Lions nothing!' snorted Conan, his eyes blazing. Did you ever hear a lion roar? Neither did I. Listen at those bones, Snap. Not even a lion could make that much noise killing a horse." He hurried down the natural ramp and she followed, their personal feud forgotten in the adventurer's instinct to unite against common peril. The screams had ceased when they worked their way downward through the green veil of leaves that brushed the rock. "'I found your horse tied by the pool back there,' he muttered. Treading so noiselessly that she no longer wondered how he had surprised her on the crag. I tied mine beside it and followed the tracks of your boots. Watch now. They had emerged from the belt of leaves and stared down into the lower reaches of the forest. Above them the green roof spread its dusky canopy. Below them the sunlight filtered in just enough to make a jade-tinted twilight the giant trunks of trees, less than a hundred yards away, looked dim and ghostly. The horses should be beyond that thicket over there, whispered Conan, and his voice might have been a breeze moving through the branches. Listen. Valeria had already heard, and a chill crept through her veins, so she unconsciously laid her white hand on her companion's muscular brown arm. From beyond the thicket came the noisy crunching of bones and the loud rending of flesh, together with the grinding, slobbering sounds of a horrible feast. "'Lions wouldn't make that noise,' whispered Conan. "'Something's eating our horses, but it's not a lion. "'Grom!' The noise stopped suddenly, and Conan swore softly. A suddenly risen breeze was blowing from them directly toward the spot where the unseen Slayer was hidden. "'Here it comes,' muttered Conan, half lifting his sword. The thicket was violently agitated, and Valeria clutched Conan's arm hard. Ignorant of jungle lore, she yet knew that no animal she had ever seen could have shaken the tall brush like that. "'It must be as big as an elephant,' muttered Conan, echoing her thought. What the devil? His voice trailed away in stunned silence. Through the thicket was thrust a head of nightmare and lunacy. Grinning jaws bared rows of dripping yellow tusks. Above the yawning mouth wrinkled a saurian-like snout. Huge eyes, like those of a python, a thousand times magnified, stared unwinkingly at the petrified humans clinging to the rock above it blood smeared the scaly, flabby lips and dripped from the huge mouth. The head, bigger than that of a crocodile, was further extended on a long, scaled neck on which stood up rows of serrated spikes, and after it, crushing down the briars and saplings, waddled the body of a titan, a gigantic, barrel-bellied torso on absurdly short legs. The whitish belly almost raked the ground, while the serrated backbone rose higher than Conan could have reached on tiptoe. A long, spiked tail like that of a gargantuan scorpion trailed out behind. "'Back up the crag! Quick!' snapped Conan, thrusting the girl behind him. "'I don't think he can climb, but he can stand on his hind legs and reach us.' With a snapping and rending of bushes and saplings, the monster came hurtling through the thickets, and they fled up the rock before him like leaves blown before a wind. As Valeria plunged into the leafy screen, a backward glance showed her the titan rearing up fearsomely on his massive hind legs, even as Conan had predicted. The sight sent panic racing through her. As he reared, the beast seemed more gigantic than ever. His snouted head towered among the trees. Then Conan's ironed hand closed on her wrist and she was jerked headlong into the blinding welter of leaves and out again into the hot sunshine above, just as the monster fell forward with his front feet on the crag, with an impact that made the rock vibrate. Behind the fugitives the huge head crashed through the twigs and they looked down for a horrifying instant at the nightmare visage framed among the green leaves eyes flaming, jaws gaping. Then the giant tusks clashed together futilely, and after that the head was withdrawn, vanishing from their sight as if it had sunk in a pool. Peering down through broken branches that scraped the rock, they saw it squatting on its haunches at the foot of the crag, staring unblinkingly up at them. Valerius shuddered. How long do you suppose he'll crouch there? Conan kicked the skull on the leaf-strewn shelf. That fellow must have climbed up here to escape him, or one like him. He must have died of starvation. There are no bones broken. That thing must be a dragon such as the black people speak of in their legends. If so, it won't leave here until we're both dead. Valeria looked at him blankly, her resentment forgotten. She fought down a surging of panic. She had proved her reckless courage a thousand times in wild battles on sea and land, on the blood-slippery decks of burning warships, in the storming of walled cities, and on the trampling sandy beaches where the desperate men of the Red Brotherhood bathed their knives in one another's blood in the fights for leadership. But the prospect now confronting her congealed her blood. A cutlass stroke in the heat of battle was nothing. But to sit idle and helpless on a bare rock until she perished of starvation, besieged by a monstrous survival of an elder age, the thought sent panic throbbing through her brain. "'He must leave to eat and drink,' she said helplessly. "'He won't have to go far to do either,' Conan pointed out. "'He's just gorged on horse meat, and like a real snake, he can go for a long time without eating or drinking again.' But he doesn't sleep after eating like a real snake, it seems. Anyway, he can't climb this crag," Conan spoke imperturbably. He was a barbarian, and the terrible patience of the wilderness and its children was as much a part of him as his lusts and rages. He could endure a situation like this with a coolness impossible to a civilized person. "'Can't we get into the trees and get away traveling like apes through the branches?' she asked desperately. He shook his head. I thought of that. The branches that touch the crag down there are too light. They'd break with our weight. Besides, I have an idea that devil could tear up any tree around here by its roots. Well, are we going to sit here on our rumps until we starve like that? she cried furiously, kicking the skull, clattering across the ledge. I won't do it. I'll go down there and cut his damned head off. Conan had seated himself on a rocky projection at the foot of the spire. He looked up with a glint of admiration at her blazing eyes and tense, quivering figure. But realizing that she was in just the mood for any madness, he let none of his admiration sound in his voice. "'Sit down,' he grunted, catching her by the wrist and pulling her down on his knee. She was too surprised to resist as he took her sword from her hand and shoved it back in its sheath sit still and calm down. You'd only break your steel on his scales. He'd gobble you up at one gulp, or smash you like an egg with that spiked tail of his. We'll get out of this jam some way, but we shan't do it by getting chewed up and swallowed." She made no reply, nor did she seek to repulse his arms from about her waist. She was frightened, and the sensation was new to Valeria of the Red Brotherhood. So she sat on her companion's—or captor's—knee with a docility that would have amazed Zoralo, who had anathematized her as a she-devil out of Hell's Seraglio. Conan played idly with her curly yellow locks, seemingly intent only upon his conquest. Neither the skeleton at his feet nor the monster crouching below disturbed his mind or dulled the edge of his interest. The girl's restless eyes, roving the leaves below them, discovered splashes of color among the green. It was fruit, large, darkly crimson globes suspended from the boughs of a tree whose broad leaves were a peculiarly rich and vivid green. She became aware of both thirst and hunger, though thirst had not assailed her until she knew she could not descend from the crag to find food and water. "'We need not starve,' she said. "'There is fruit we can reach.' Conan glanced where she pointed. "'If we ate that, we wouldn't need the bite of the dragon,' he grunted. "'That's what the black people of Kush call the apples of Durketa. Durketa is the queen of the dead. Drink a little of that juice or spill it on your flesh and you'd be dead before you could tumble to the foot of this crag.' "'Oh!' She lapsed into dismayed silence. There seemed no way out of their predicament. She reflected gloomily. She saw no way of escape, and Conan seemed to be concerned only with her supple waist and curly tresses. If he was trying to formulate a plan of escape, he did not show it. If you'll take your hands off me long enough to climb up on that peak, she said presently, you'll see something that will surprise you. He cast her a questioning glance, then obeyed with a shrug of his massive shoulders. Clinging to the spire-like pinnacle, he stared out over the forest roof. He stood a long moment in silence, posed like a bronze statue on the rock. ''It's a walled city, right enough,'' he muttered presently. ''Was that where you were going when you tried to send me off alone to the coast?'' ''I saw it before you came. I knew nothing of it when I left Sukmet. ''Who'd have thought to find a city here?'' I don't believe the Stygians ever penetrated this far. Could black people build a city like that? I see no herds on the plain, no signs of cultivation, or people moving about." How could you hope to see all that at this distance? she demanded. He shrugged his shoulders and dropped down on the shelf. Well, the folk of the city can't help us just now, and they might not if they could. The people of the Black Countries are generally hostile to strangers—probably stick us full of spears." He stopped short and stood silent as if he had forgotten what he was saying, frowning down at the crimson spears gleaming among the leaves. "'Spears!' he muttered. "'What a blasted fool I am not to have thought of that before! That shows what a pretty woman does to a man's mind!' "'What are you talking about?' she inquired. Without answering her, he descended to the belt of leaves and looked down through them. The great brute squatted below, watching the crag with the frightful patience of the reptile folk. So might one of his breed have glared up at their troglodyte ancestors, treed on a high-flung rock in the dim dawn ages. Conan cursed him without heat and began cutting branches, reaching out and severing them as far from the end as he could reach. The agitation of the leaves made the monster restless. He rose from his haunches and lashed his hideous tail, snapping off saplings as if they had been toothpicks. Conan watched him warily from the corner of his eye, and just as Valeria believed the dragon was about to hurl himself up the crag again, the Cimmerian drew back and climbed up to the ledge with the branches he had cut. There were three of these, slender shafts, about seven feet long, but not larger than his thumb. He had also cut several strands of tough, thin vine. "'Branches too light for spear-halves, and creepers no thicker than cords,' he remarked, indicating the foliage about the crag. "'It won't hold our weight, but there's strength in union. That's what the Aquilonian renegades used to tell us Cimmerians when they came into the hills to raise an army to invade their own country. But we always fight by clans and tribes.' What the devil has that got to do with those sticks? she demanded. You wait and see. Gathering the sticks in a compact bundle, he wedged his poniard hilt between them at one end. Then, with the vines, he bound them together, and when he had completed his task he had a spear of no small strength with a sturdy shaft seven feet in length. What good will that do? she demanded. You told me that a blade wouldn't pierce his scales. He hasn't got scales all over him," answered Conan. There's more than one way of skinning a panther. Moving down to the edge of the leaves, he reached the spear up and carefully thrust the blade through one of the apples of Durketa, drawing aside to avoid the darkly purple drops that dripped from the pierced fruit. Presently he withdrew the blade and showed her the blue steel stained a dull purplish-crimson. I don't know whether it will do the job or not," quoth he. There's enough poison there to kill an elephant, but, well, we'll see. Valeria was close behind him as he let himself down among the leaves. Cautiously holding the poisoned pike away from him, he thrust his head through the branches and addressed the monster. "'What are you waiting down there for, you misbegotten offspring of questionable parents?' was one of his more printable queries. "'Stick your ugly head up here again, you long-necked brute, or do you want me to come down there and kick you loose from your illegitimate spine?' There was more of it, some of it couched in eloquence that made Valeria stare, in spite of her profane education among the seafarers. And it had its effect on the monster. Just as the incessant yapping of a dog worries and enrages more constitutionally silent animals, So, the clamorous voice of a man rouses fear in some bestial bosoms and insane rage in others. Suddenly, and with appalling quickness, the mastodonic brute reached up on its mighty hind legs and elongated its neck and body in a furious effort to reach this vociferous pygmy whose clamor was disturbing the primeval silence of its ancient realm. But Conan had judged his distance with precision. Some five feet below him, the mighty head crashed terribly but futilely through the leaves, and as the monstrous mouth gaped like that of a great snake, Conan drove his spear into the red angle of the jawbone hinge. He struck downward with all the strength of both arms, driving the long poniard blade to the hilt in the flesh, sinew, and bone. Instantly the jaws clashed convulsively together, severing the triple-pieced shaft and almost precipitating Conan from his perch. He would have fallen, but for the girl behind him who caught his sword-belt in a desperate grasp. He clutched at a rocky projection and grinned his thanks back at her. Down on the ground the monster was wallowing like a dog with pepper in its eyes. He shook his head from side to side pawed at it and opened his mouth repeatedly to its widest extent. Presently he got a huge front foot on the stump of the shaft and managed to tear the blade out. Then he threw up his head, jaws wide and spouting blood, and glared up at the crag with such concentrated and intelligent fury that Valeria trembled and drew her sword. The scales along his back and flanks turned from rusty brown to a dull, lurid red. Most horribly, the monster's silence was broken. The sounds that issued from his blood-streaming jaws did not sound like anything that could have been produced by an earthly creation. With harsh, grating roars, the dragon hurled himself at the crag that was the citadel of his enemies. Again and again, his mighty head crashed upward through the branches, snapping vainly on empty air. He hurled his full, ponderous weight against the rock until it vibrated from base to crest and rearing upright he gripped it with his front legs like a man and tried to tear it up by the roots as if it had been a tree. This exhibition of primordial fury chilled the blood in Valeria's veins. But Conan was too close to the primitive himself to feel anything but a comprehending interest. To the barbarian no such gulf existed between himself and other men and the animals as existed in the conception of Valeria the monster below them to conan was merely a form of life differing from himself mainly in physical shape he attributed to it characteristics similar to his own and saw in its wrath a counterpart of his rages in its roars and bellowings merely reptilian equivalents to the curses he had bestowed upon it feeling a kinship with all wild things, even dragons, it was impossible for him to experience the sick horror which assailed Valeria at the sight of the brute's ferocity. He sat watching it tranquilly and pointed out the various changes that were taking place in its voice and actions. The poison's taking hold, he said with conviction. I don't believe it, To Valeria it seemed preposterous to suppose that anything, however lethal, could have any effect on that mountain of muscle and fury. There's pain in his voice, declared Conan. First he was merely angry because of the stinging in his jaw. Now he feels the bite of the poison. Look! He's staggering. He'll be blind in a few more minutes. What did I tell you? For suddenly the dragon had lurched about and went crashing off through the bushes. Is he running away?" inquired Valeria uneasily. He's making for the pool. Conan sprang up, galvanized into swift activity. The poison makes him thirsty. Come on. He'll be blind in a few moments, but he can smell his way back to the foot of the crag, and if our sense here still, he'll sit there until he dies, and others of his kind may come at his cries. Let's go. Down there? Valeria was aghast sure we'll make for the city they may cut our heads off there but it's our only chance we may run into a thousand more dragons on the way but it's sure death to stay here if we wait until he dies we may have a dozen more to deal with after me in a hurry he went down the ramp as swiftly as an ape pausing only to aid his less agile companion, who, until she saw the Cimmerian climb, had fancied herself the equal of any man in the rigging of a ship or on the sheer face of a cliff. They descended into the gloom below the branches and slid to the ground silently, though Valeria felt as if the pounding of her heart must surely be heard from far away. A noisy gurgling and lapping beyond the dense thicket indicated that the dragon was drinking at the pool. As soon as his belly is full, he'll be back, muttered Conan. It may take hours for the poison to kill him, if it does at all. Somewhere beyond the forest, the sun was sinking to the horizon. The forest was a misty twilight place of black shadows and dim vistas. Conan gripped Valeria's wrist and glided away from the foot of the crag. He made less noise than a breeze blowing among the tree trunks, but Valeria felt as if her soft boots were betraying their flight to all the forest. I don't think he can follow a trail, muttered Conan, but if a wind blew our body sent to him, he could smell us out. Mitra, grant me the wind blow not, Valeria breathed. Her face was a pallid oval in the gloom. She gripped her sword in her free hand, but the feel of the chagrin-bound hilt inspired only a feeling of helplessness in her. They were still some distance from the edge of the forest when they heard a snapping and crashing behind them. Valeria bit her lip to check a cry. "'He's on our trail!' she whispered fiercely. Conan shook his head. "'He didn't smell us at the rock, and he's blundering about through the forest trying to pick up our scent.' Come on. It's the city or nothing now. He could tear down any tree we'd climb. If only the wind stays down. They stole on until the trees began to thin out ahead of them. Behind them the forest was a black, impenetrable ocean of shadows. The ominous crackling still sounded behind them as the dragon blundered in his erratic course. There's the plane ahead, breathed Valeria. A little more and we'll— Crom swore Conan. "'Mitra!' whispered Valeria. Out of the south, a wind had sprung up. It blew over them directly into the black forest behind them. Instantly a horrible roar shook the woods. The aimless snapping and crackling of the bushes changed to a sustained crashing as the dragon came like a hurricane straight toward the spot from which the scent of his enemies was wafted. "'Run!' snarled Conan his eyes blazing like those of a trapped wolf. It's all we can do. The sailor's boots are not made for sprinting, and the life of a pirate does not train one for a runner. Within a hundred yards Valeria was panting and reeling in her gait, and behind them the crashing gave way to a rolling thunder as the monster broke out of the thickets and into the more open ground. Conan's iron arm about the woman's waist half lifted her. Her feet scarcely touched the earth as she was borne along at a speed she could never have attained herself. If he could keep out of the beast's way for a bit, perhaps that betraying wind would shift. But the wind held, and a quick glance over his shoulder showed Conan that the monster was almost upon them, coming like a war-galley in front of a hurricane. He thrust Valeria from him with a force that sent her reeling a dozen feet to fall in a crumpled heap at the foot of the nearest tree, and the Cimmerian wheeled in the path of the thundering Titan. Convinced that his death was upon him, the Cimmerian acted according to his instinct and hurled himself full at the awful face that was bearing down on him. He leaped, slashing like a wildcat felt his sword cut deep into the scales that sheathed the mighty snout, and then a terrific impact knocked him rolling and tumbling for fifty feet with all the wind and half the life battered out of him. How the stunned Cimmerian regained his feet, not even he could have ever told. But the only thought that filled his brain was of the woman lying dazed and helpless almost in the path of the hurtling fiend and before the breath came whistling back into his gullet he was standing over her with his sword in his hand. She lay where he had thrown her, but she was struggling to a sitting posture. Neither tearing tusks nor trampling feet had touched her. It had been a shoulder or front leg that struck Conan, and the blind monster rushed on, forgetting the victims whose scent it had been following, in the sudden agony of its death throes headlong on its course, it thundered until its low-hung head crashed into a gigantic tree in its path. The impact tore the tree up by its roots and must have dashed the brains from the misshapen skull. Tree and monster fell together, and the dazed humans saw the branches and leaves shaken by the convulsions of the creature they covered, and then grow quiet. Conan lifted Valeria to her feet and together they started away at a reeling run. A few moments later they emerged into the still twilight of the treeless plain. Conan paused an instant and glanced back at the ebon fastness behind them. Not a leaf stirred nor a bird chirped. It stood as silent as it must have stood before man was created. Come on, muttered Conan, taking his companion's hand. It's touch and go now, if more dragons come out of the woods after us. He did not have to finish the sentence. The city looked very far away, across the plain, farther than it had looked from the crag. Valeria's heart hammered until she felt as if it would strangle her. At every step she expected to hear the crashing of the bushes and see another colossal nightmare bearing down upon them. But nothing disturbed the silence of the thickets. With the first mile between them and the woods, Valeria breathed more easily. Her buoyant self-confidence began to thaw out again. The sun had set, and darkness was gathering over the plain, lighted a little by the stars that made stunted ghosts out of the cactus growths. No cattle, no plowed fields, muttered Conan. How do these people live? Perhaps the cattle are in pens for the night, suggested Valeria, and the fields and grazing pastures are on the other side of the city. Maybe, he grunted. I didn't see any from the crag, though. The moon came up behind the city, etching walls and towers blackly in the yellow glow. Valeria shivered. Black against the moon, the strange city had a somber, sinister look. Perhaps something of the same feeling occurred to Conan, for he stopped, glanced about him, and grunted. We stop here. No use coming to their gates in the night. They probably wouldn't let us in. Besides, we need rest, and we don't know how they'll receive us. A few hours' sleep will put us in better shape to fight or run." He led the way to a bed of cactus which grew in a circle, a phenomenon common to the southern desert. With his sword he chopped an opening and motioned Valeria to enter. We'll be safe from snakes here, anyhow. She glanced fearfully back toward the black line that indicated the forest some six miles away. "'Suppose a dragon comes out of the woods. We'll keep watch, he answered, though he made no suggestion as to what they would do in such an event. He was staring at the city a few miles away. Not a light shone from spire or tower. A great black mass of mystery, it reared cryptically against the moonlit sky. Lie down and sleep. I'll keep the first watch. She hesitated, glancing at him uncertainly, but he sat down cross-legged in the opening, facing toward the plain, his sword on his knees, his back to her. Without further comment, she lay down on the sand inside the spiky circle. "'Wake me when the moon is at its zenith,' she directed. He did not reply, nor look toward her. Her last impression as she sank into slumber was of his muscular figure, immobile as a statue hewn out of bronze, outlined against the low-hanging stars. End of Part 1 of Red Nails by Robert E. Howard